If you've been pondering politics this week, then you've come to the right podcast. This is Pondering Politics. What are we pondering this week? Did Jeremy Corbyn just lose the election? What are the real differences between the party's manifestos? Does your age indicate your vote more than your wage? And do we live in a post-shame society? I'm Andrew, the man on the street. I'm Simon, the man on the classroom. And together, we're pottering politics. Yeah. Well, it's official. The election's over. It's done. It's dusted. That was it. It's over. Because... I'm, I'm confused. I, I thought there was still a couple more weeks to go. Well, it's the interview. So, so Andrew Neil is, I'll be completely biased here, he's my favourite interviewer on TV. He has been for several years. I love watching him on This Week, which closed a few, uh, like a few months ago. I thought it was the best political show on TV. He used to do Sunday politics and daily politics, and he's cut right back. I mean, I guess he's kind of, I think he's now getting kind of partially retired, really. He's going to get to that side. But I, from, in my view, he has a really wonderful interviewing style in that he, 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 he's not too aggressive, in my view. He's not too soft. He finds little points of detail and questions and questions. And I think he's normally fair, but he will not let a politician get away with not answering something without exposing that they are not answering it. And um, he interviewed candidates at the last general election. He interviewed them uh, for the Conservative Party Leadership Conference and uh, a leadership contest, and he's doing the party leaders this time. And he's done Nicola Sturgeon, and she didn't do too well, but she did okay in comparison with Jeremy Corbyn, who this week, oh my God. I mean, did you see it? I did, and... Obviously, I, I watched it on catch up because you you uh, what's that me saying? Oh my god, <laughs> to me! And I'm like, okay, okay. Normally, he can handle himself quite well, but no, he just wow. I didn't expect that because he did so well in the little one-on-one debate. Um, well, much better than I expected, but he blew it. I just don't get why he made some of the decisions. So, what was your, in your opinion, what was the biggest mess ups he he made during this? Uh, first of all, he got visibly irritated. And and to the for someone that's hoping to lead a country in negotiations with other countries, you know, finger on the nuclear button, you know, although you know, something like that. But you know, for someone that's going to who's hoping to be in a real position of power, to be getting tetchy like that just doesn't come across well. Which is weird because actually sometimes being a strong leader does come across well. But but I think there's there's somehow a difference between being decisive and being tetchy because he was simultaneously being indecisive and tetchy which is which is somehow just a worse combination from all point of view so, so that was one just the way he came across Second- just just on that bit did you see the bit there was a bit where he kind of went it, it, it was it was like a, a 10 year old like uh, are you gonna even let me finish uh <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. It's just that he even put his hands out like, um, uh, maybe if you just let me finish, uh, uh, that'd be nice. It's that kind of attitude. And I was just giggling to myself. I shouldn't be. This could be the next prime minister. Well, but I did. I, I watched some of it with my, my students this week in school. And actually, they were harsher on the interviewer. They was they said, no, it was Andrew Neil's fault. Andrew Neil wasn't letting him finish. And Andrew Neil was being too aggressive. And Andrew Neil wasn't letting him make his point. Um, what, what do you think? Because I'm not sure I agree. I think... Corbyn was kind of waffling and Andrew was trying to bring him back to the point. But my students read it differently. What was your read? I agree with you to be boring. So there's no <laughs> arguments on the podcast. Um, I think, yeah, you're right. He wasn't answering the question. He was doing the template answer that he was trying to get the the, the sound bites across in the interview. And Andrew Neil was just bringing him out going, well, well, that's nice, but you're not answering the question. And then he would again do the sound bites, and he went, "Well, I know you've you've already said that, and I completely understand that. But what I'm asking you is ABC, 
and he just would not answer. But I have noticed what you've said online. Jeremy Corbyn and Labour hardcore supporters are very much going, oh, he's a bully, he's a bully. But I've seen the same people online saying, oh, I love the way he tore apart Boris Johnson. He tore apart this Tory or the Brexit party person. So I think it just, again, depends on who you like. And if they pick on your person, then they're bad. And if they pick on the person you don't like, they're, they're well, brilliant. Yeah, also. that's always how it works. I mean, because I've watched the, I kind of watched the interview twice because I watched it by myself and then I watched it kind of two thirds of it again with my students. And what Neil seems to do is ask a question, give the, the Corbyn like a chance to kind of make his initial case. So, so Corbyn does get like 30 seconds to kind of make his case. And when it's clear Corbyn's kind of not really answering the question, Andrew Neil then starts interrupting and tries to bring him back. But but Corbyn does get a chance to, want, in my view, he does get a chance to kind of answer them, but he, he kind of doesn't. Um, you asked me what I thought the other damaging parts were. The other damaging parts were that he was the kind of the pinpoint accuracy to detail. You know, Labour's big thing is we're not going to raise taxes for the under 80,000s. And then and Neil found two ways in which they are the first one 250 pounds you might argue is you know over a year perhaps isn't a huge amount but but 400 pounds for 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 elderly pensioners that are on less than 14 grand total i think that that was that was quite damaging and um and then this that that bit at the end about the the pensioners uh and just kind of exposing this this idea that actually he want he wants to uh he hasn't fully costed things. He, he was just like Corbyn was like, "Well, we, we, we're going to pay for this because it's a moral duty." And 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 you know, I, I read the story, and this does sound like something that definitely needs sorting out. But what Neil kind of really exposes is that Corbyn is is determined to do these things regardless of cost, and that will not play well amongst anyone that is concerned at all about his financial competence. Yeah, it's the um, I, I can't remember the abbreviations, but it's the women that's been um, is it, is it left out of a certain yeah, that's w- it. Waspy, Warsy. Was, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm not going to attempt to say it because I'll just make a mistake. Uh, but yeah, he, he obviously didn't factor that in at all. Most of it, rest of it, he's kind of put costings together reasonably well. But we'll yeah. get on to that later. But, well, well, my dad, yeah. sorry, uh, I, I messaged my dad about it because you know we were kind of watching it together. My dad thinks that he that Corbyn came across better than a lot better than I did. He 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 said. I hope he doesn't mind me quoting him here. He says that he he thinks the questions were deliberately harassing, and Corbyn was trying to be truthful as opposed to Boris, who just says what people want to hear. And then he also said that he thinks that Andrew Neil was kind of making it seem that remaining neutral on Brexit is a ridiculous stance, which Corbyn was arguing that it's not, and it's not an an, an absurd stance to be neutral. And he was also arguing that that Corbyn, what Corbyn is trying to do is to square the circle, is to take a divided country and find a way forward, which is to remain neutral and kind of just kind of put the issue to kind of to kind of bed. And um, I think there's some interesting points there. Does anything there kind of resonate with you? I agree with him. So yeah, if, if we sum up the points quickly, uh, what he said and what he didn't say. So the the, the part about the the brexit thing i personally can see where he's coming from and i think if david cameron did that when the brexit thing kicked off then it might have went a different way because certain people who loathe david uh, cameron not mentioning any names here but they might have voted in one particular way or another due to him supporting remain so i can see where he's saying but i think that train has left the station a long time ago i think now we're in the era of you pick a side and you say what you believe but that comes down to the whole what does he actually believe so that one, I do kind of see where he's coming from. I mean, the, there is an argument who said that if the country's divided, the way to lead that is to kind of be neutral. But yeah, unfor- to step out. But, but most of his party are going to re- uh, vote. Um, sorry, campaign for Remain. So, and, and you've also just had three years of Theresa 
also trying to kind of tread the middle ground. Like she didn't say neutral, but she was trying to go down the middle ground and it, it blew up. Yeah, because you're not going to follow that if you're Remain, because they're passionate, and you're not going to follow that if you're a Brexiteer, because they're passionate. They're not going to go, let's pick the guy in the middle. I, I, I can see what he's going to do. I agree with that point more than the other kind of non-answering he did, but I don't think it worked. I think the other point, and I'm, I, this, is a, this is something that's quite difficult to talk about, um, so I'm going to try and choose my word carefully here, but, but Andrew Neil spent 10 minutes on the, the anti-Semitism uh, accusation at the beginning of the program and I before watching the program I had felt looking at the anti-semitism kind of accusations that that there had been some awkward incidents but I had in my view it, it, it was kind of like a media the media had kind of found an angle and they were kind of using it as a way of kind of attacking Corbyn and attacking the Labour Party, especially, you know, your usual suspects like the Daily Mail and so on. And I must admit, I was a little bit kind of cynical about these anti-Semitism accusations. But now after watching that interview and the way Andrew Neil kind of was going through it and was going through some specific accusations, I think it is very, very clear that the way it's been dealt with by the Labour Party and by Corbyn's kind of leadership is just way too weak. Like I, I, I wouldn't, I, do, I wouldn't say from my knowledge, from my understanding, that Corbyn himself is anti-Semitic. But I did come out of that. I, after watching that, I was like, actually, yeah, they, they do have a problem with the way they're dealing with anti-Semitism. That they, they are not stamping down on it hard enough. They're letting people that have these views stay in the party. And and that and and if you were, if you are Jewish or if you are from a racial minority, and you can see a party isn't dealing with people that are saying these things and and putting them on stage on the very day that you're trying to make this kind of like you know, um, yeah. you know, it, it's just like if you can't that you can't do it like that. Like like no. so, I, I've kind of come round to actually going, yeah, there's a problem. I I think he's his own worst enemy with so many of these different things. And I, you know, transparency, I voted Jeremy Corbyn last time. But th- this time he is just making mountains out of what could be, if he got it under control quickly, molehills. So he, he's been, I, I Googled both sides of it to try and get a varied point of this before the podcast. And, you know, I Googled why is Jeremy Corbyn on on the side of Jewish people and why is, why is, why is all these rumours coming up and the allegations. And one is very genetic, like, oh, he's not, He's not racist. He fights against racism in all forms and stuff like that kind of stuff he says. But the other one is him sharing a stage with someone who's tweeted like about the Holocaust not really happening. And it's like, oh, my gosh, really? And then he's done that after that they made the allegations and it hit the storm. And, I, I, yeah. you know, it, I just don't see even if he thought they didn't do it. Surely the damage to the party and what his vision is for the country is He's going to suffer because of he's not going to come on now. I mean, look at Jacob Reese Mogg and what's happened to him since the Grenfell incident. They, they've taken he, him off TV. <laughs> yeah, like, you don't come out your house now. Yeah, this is, is this is your room. Stay. <laughs> you stay in there. But he's still sharing stages and with people who have said such dodgy things or defended other people who have said dodgy things. Yeah, I, I just don't. I can't see the common sense in it. And then, and again, that translates to someone that you kind of think, well, do I really want this person running, a, running, running the country? I mean, I, I did say last week we were bashing the Conservatives quite a lot, and so I, I did say, and I, I, this is entirely my own fault because I remember I listened to this the, the quote earlier. I was like, I hope Labour Party does something that we can we can rattle on next week. And it's here your we fault. are. Um, Why did you do this? <laughs> so, so the title of this little bit of the segment it was or is 
did Jeremy Corbyn just lose the election? Was this interview that bad? Like, it's like, can one interview, can the media, can, can one journalist, one interview, one media thing really change the course of a general election? It can, but I don't think this is it. There's still a chance, um, especially since Boris started kind of using it to his advantage. Like, I'm not sure if you're aware, the next day uh, someone asked him a question as he was going through like a little tour of a village trying to, you know, get his message across. And someone said, are you sorry about all the allegations of Islamophobia? And he just, you can tell he was waiting for it. He went, yes, I fully apologize for any pain that's been covered, uh, caused by any Tory member party. I'm so sorry. And we're fighting to get rid of it and stuff like that. It was just, you knew he was waiting for it. But then again, he, now he's not going on Andrew Neil and he looks like a coward. So We'll, come, we'll, come, we'll think, come back to that one. Yeah, that's, that's we'll, 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 come, we'll come back to that one. But to answer your question, I think it did a lot of damage. But I think Jeremy Corbyn has very successfully the next day with the NHS selling NHS to the Americans yes, yeah, yeah. story. I think he's kind of moved the agenda on quite well. It's not completely gone, but and, he, and, he, his damage limitation is quite good. And the, me, the one of the features of the new way that the media works is that a story even a huge story can be done and dusted within a couple of days um because the, because the next thing will come along you know gone are the days where one scandal would just hang over you for years um, as long as it's not too horrific but 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 you're right jeremy corbyn actually managed to move the newspapers on the next day or the media uh, on the next day mm. um cool um there was a poll though now um so so polls uh, are not to be trusted, or but they do give rough indicators, and I, I do like I do like a good poll and kind of looking how things are going to change and how they might change and talking about if they might be accurate enough. But there, there is a there's a way of polling which is a lot more complex than normal polls, and I don't fully understand it. But last general election, when everyone was like Theresa May is going to walk it, she's going to dominate the whole thing, blah 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 blah. There was one poll about halfway through that actually got the result right that used a far more complicated sampling procedure, and there was one that said. Oh, this is there's going to be a hung parliament, and because all the other polls were saying Theresa was going to win by miles, everyone went, "Ha! Well, that's clearly wrong." Blah 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 blah. And I remember watching Andrew Neil come to going back to him again, talking about this poll and actually interviewing the guy who did the poll. And the guy was like, "Oh, I think it's going to be a hung parliament." And Andrew Neil was like, <laughs> "You know," laughed at him. And then, to his credit, he invited him back on the show after the general election. Was like, "Sorry," um, <laughs> but that poll, that polling company, that method has come out this week with their new poll and. They're predicting a, a fairly substantial conservative victory. Um, Is it sixty? I think it's sixty Tories uh, majority. Sixty-six, uh, which would which would put them yeah. roughly back where they were with uh, well more than Cameron uh, in Cameron's victory in two thousand and fifteen. I think he had a majority of about forty then, or maybe a little bit less, mm -hmm. but enough. Um, yep. It, so, it also says that the um, SM SNP is going to do very well, and it's probably all going to be the vast majority is going to be at the cost of Labour. So. Let's move on from from, uh -huh. from, from Labour bashing. Um, you wanted to talk about manifestos because you've had a yes. good, you've had a good chance to rattle through them this week. So so what are the themes that are coming up again and again, and what would you say are the main differences between the parties? I mean, feel free to you know answer those and however you wish. Right. Okay. So to be cynical, Andrew, as I am sometimes known, uh, the main theme seems to be who can make up the best figures to convince people to vote for them. Uh, they're, they're in a little bit of a spending competition uh, with Labour giving the most detail, but essentially still being disregarded to a certain amount. So today, on the day we're recording this podcast, um, a top leading financial uh, financial institute came out and basically said the top two manifestos like Labour and the Tories, neither of them financially make much sense. 
Um, there's definitely things that aren't being said. The Labour manifesto, bringing everything under private ownership, energy, raw mail, water, railway, broadband, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's, there's other models where other European countries in particular have the same, roughly the same model. And there's, there's no way you can do that without a general raise in tax. So even though they might start off, i.e. saying, no, it's only going to be the top 5%, independent financial institute experts which i know people are kind of fed up with experts <laughs> but they're saying that's a, that's that a mis- make sense. that's a misquote <coughs> is it yeah the fame uh, i don't want to go too much of a track but the, the famous michael gove people have had enough of experts quote is a misquote okay. um that that could be a, let, let's talk about that next week write that down write that write down, down. I'm, i haven't got a pen i'm mentally writing it down we'll, we'll tell we'll tell the story of that one okay um, cool so, so that that so so the Labour manifesto is just it's just loads of I don't want to sound like too Labour bashy but it's just so much free stuff it's the free they are, they are, they are all they are all spending this time though I mean this is hugely different from 2010 when they were all like oh we're all going to have to cut you know they're now all saying money for the NHS money for climate change you know aren't they yeah yeah they are uh, the the Tories are uh, um, promising to replace a lot of the things that they took away in the first place uh, Labour are. <laughs> What, what, what they are and uh smack smack, smack. what are you gonna do dad how about i stop hitting you oh thank you so much there you go it's so kind you didn't hit me yesterday <laughs> um yeah so they're they're you know not all of the the damage they caused which they would argue they needed to do after the last labor government but regardless uh lib dems have got some really fudgy figures um they're using some of the tory current uh, spending to to add it to their own figures. So where, where Tories have just pledged 12.5 billion, they're adding that to their figures because it just it just smudges the lines. But all of them are basically trying to spend. But obviously, no one can outspend or promise outspend Labour, where they're you know they're just in, increasing overall spending on public services by 10 percent, um, and and the tax already in the manifesto that the, the tax complications are. Are bad because they're, they're changing the way business is taxed on turnover instead of profit and i i i mean i know they're trying to be positive but i don't think it's gone down as well, well as we did look thought at that, it would. we did look at that graph last week or at least i think we did and excuse me if we didn't but that graph that shows even with uh labor's plans which are obviously looking to spend more that they it would, it would still britain would still be taxed less than a country like france or and only just more than than germany so so the, the so the so it it Let's not blow these tax rises out of proportion. It, it would more bring us no, into it, line with other countries rather than make us like the, the second coming of, of communism. Yes, it, yeah, yeah, it would. And, that, and that's exactly what, but, but it's, it's more tax than they're saying it would be for everyone. That's what, okay, not, oh, yeah, not only, yeah, not only that chart with, that I'm, I, I'm aware of, I don't, yeah, yeah, you must have been here if we both seen the chart, but yeah, that chart showed that it would rise to in line with other countries, but, they're not saying that in the manifesto and that's the biggest weakest point that everyone is saying everyone's going to pay for this no 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 just the top five percent only if you earn over eighty thousand pound a year but it's also on dividends paid for limited companies uh, which most people that's how they pay themselves it's on turnover on companies and it's just small businesses are going to be here as well apparently but they would argue that you get free broadband um the 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 liberal democrat manifesto they've still got the the usual kind of stuff really they're they're obviously they're they're counting change change the voting system change the voting system free um not free (laughs) i was gonna say free marijuana free drugs for everyone Uh, legalized (laughs) marijuana and a lot of their promises are based on if the financial forecasts of staying 
in the EU because obviously they would revoke Article 50 if they won a majority. If the financial forecasts are true, if they're not true and it doesn't go as well, if we did stay in the EU, then their whole manifesto, you could just chuck it in the bin because it's a big chunk of money. They're but relying but on but in theory, But in theory, though, if they would win power, they wouldn't take us out of the EU. So therefore, their predictions on the EU should be correct. Well, well they're saying it would it would cause an upturn of £50 billion over the course of their parliament. Um, okay, so but, I see what you're saying. So there's, there's, an, there's an element of optimism there. Yeah, so if it's thirty million, they're twenty. Sorry, thirty billion, they're twenty billion short. <laughs> so that's a lot I mean, of money. For me, one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to look at the kind of the bigger. I mean, I, I like the detail you've you've kind of discovered here. But I've me, done the, a lot the, of research for this yeah, week. The, the broad brushstrokes for me was the fact that that like SNP had their big manifesto launch, whichever day it was, and they were like, "Look at all our policies." And Labour had their one. They were like, "Look at all our policies." And Lib Dems, "Look at all our policies." And then the Conservatives did theirs at a weekend, very quietly. Very short manifesto, comparatively, very few promises. And, and for me, it just shows how much they've both learned from what happened before. So, so in 2017, Labour had lots of like, you know, we will make things better in your life. And it resonated with a lot of people and they did really well. And the Conservatives had a very detailed, very honest, uh, for a politician, uh, manifesto on Theresa May saying, times are tough, we're going to have to do this to social care or whatever like that. And, it, and they, got, they got killed. Um, so the Conservatives have put together something which is very deliberately, very nondescript, you know, can't, can't possibly offend anyone, you know, type thing. And, and they're almost doing it very, very low key because I think they've kind of done the calculation. I think Labour's done the calculation of look at our manifesto because we want to show you what we'll do. And the Conservatives have done the calculation of let's draw as little attention as possible to our manifesto so we can't get hung out to drown it again. And you're completely correct because all the negative, the make, well, okay, not all the negative, there's some sweeping statement. The most negative stories I've seen are about Labour's manifesto and it's just picking holes in it so it's saying about that they're saying that free movement would be extended and that is a big topic for you know people who want to see free movement stopped and uh, and the costing when no one's really talking about the Tory man manifesto and how it's just a generalization will increase nurses mm. and will increase the police I mean, it's, it's, there, it's there's clever, no calculation it's, so. clever, it's clever strategy because you can't you know, unless someone builds the wall in front of you you can't start to knock it down so the conservatives just go cool we ain't building a wall <laughs> exactly they, they especially with the poll that you mentioned before as well they they've got the lead it looks like they've got the lead and it's just there's to throw away at this point well, it, but it, that was the same with Theresa. Theresa had the lead, and it was hers to throw away, and and she threw it away. So the and she threw it away so good. So she was like, "Watch me hold my drink, <laughs> hold my drink." I'm going to chuck this lead up all the way over there. So far, um, in the distance. So, does your do, do you think any of the manifestos like I don't know? It's better. Obviously, there's so much politics involved in your own personal beliefs. But do you think any of the manifestos are, are were more successful than the others? Because in my head, I have to say that the, the conservative one is the most successful one because it's the one that's generated the least negative headlines. But looking at social media, I can see a lot of people that are very excited about the Labour one because they, of what they think it can do to their lives. I think the the key voting area that Labour still have to hold on to the working class worried about the tax rises. Uh, probably voted Brexit and some of those areas, they're going to have a hard time convincing them of this manifesto. The people that are already going to vote for Labour and are very enthusiastic younger people, which is leading on to the next subject, yeah. um, they, 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 they love it, but they were going to vote for Labour anyway. And this is the problem with today's voting and sorry, politics in general, is that people keep, they don't try to get more votes, they just try and 
solidify their own voter base as it is not to lose any and you're not going to be main gain big in in that way in my opinion there was a uh yeah that's a fair point you, you need a manifesto that can actually reach out beyond your boundaries there, there was a an article on bbc today that i haven't fully read yet but it was saying that labor is going to change its strategy because um, they were apparently they were aiming more at remainers but the polling indicates that they basically got the remainers anyway mm. um so now they're going to start aiming more at that group that you were talking about the the, the working class brexiteers so i'll be interested to see if that story is true and what that means over the next coming weeks because um if if the polls where well, last time when the, the polls were indicating that the labor were shooting up and that the polls aren't indicating them this time so they they, they do need to change strategy if they want to um, change the way that the election is currently going, especially in the light of um, various Andrew Neil interviews. So, does your age indicate your vote more than your wage? I don't know. Um, I, in my opinion, it, it, this time of voting uh, at my ripe old age of late late thirties, <laughs> um, I had a much harder decision to make. So, with me as a general example i probably say yes what so, do you think so this comes from so so one of the things i kind of teach in class is what we call like voting behavior or voting demographics and blah 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 and it is based on stereotypes but stereotypes are often are based on actual voting data so you know there's a kind of an element of truth to them and so what i get the kids to do is i get them to draw the stereotypical conservative voter and the mm -hmm. stereotypical Labour voter and the stereotypical Liberal voter and, and so they, they tend to draw like a kind of old white rich guy for the Conservative voter you know, and, 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 and probably the reverse for a Labour voter and, and, and so on. And then we look at the actual data and see if, if the stereotype is, is, is true. And the, the answer is if you go back about kind of 50 years the stereotype is true. You know, people did vote far more on on their their social class because I guess there kind of was you know the further back you go, the stronger social class gets, and the more people have a a social identity that's to do with their class. Um, uh, but most of these walls have been broken down, and John Curtis, who's like the guy that appears on um, Election Night with the slightly kind of fuzzy hair, Professor John Curtis, and he comes on and he looks adorable, and he always has some really interesting stuff to say about you know where the election's going and things. Um, he uh, was commissioned to write a piece again for the BBC this week where he showed the polls and, and actually social class is no longer a huge um, uh, indicator of how someone votes and and, and that, that, that's huge you know that society has now changed so much that people that that old thing of uh, of upper class people vote conservative and lower part class people vote labor it's just no longer true because when you look at the conservative voters 42 percent of middle class people, um, are playing on voting conservative, according to the polls and from last time, and 42% of working class people um, also planning on voting conservative, i.e. it makes absolutely no difference. There is still there is a bit difference down with the Labour and the Lib Dems, so, so more middle class people are likely to vote Lib Dem and more working class people are likely to vote Labour, but when it comes to like, the actual amounts that are voting conservative, there is actually no difference between the two. And if you keep going down to the other bar graphs, and I can, uh, if, anyone, if you're any of you interested, you're welcome to contact me and I can link you to the article. Um, Gender is a very slight indicator, but we're talking a few percentage points. Um, ethnic um, minorities does make a, a, a slight difference, but not much. But the one that makes a huge difference is your age. If you are 18 to 24, you are 48% likely, 48% of 18 to 24s, eight, sorry, I'll start the sentence again to make it clear. 48% of 18 to 24 year olds are likely to vote Labour. 
compared to only 25%. So 48 to 25. If you go to the other end, um, to the, the more elderly amongst us, um, if you're 65 plus, then 61% of you are likely to vote Conservative and only 17% are likely to vote Labour. So it's almost a complete opposite, a complete mirror. So these days, if, if you see someone walking towards the, the polling station, I was having this conversation with my students, if you see, if you see someone walking towards the polling station and you're, and you're playing the always fun game of which way are they going to vote, don't bother looking for what they're wearing and their social class and and their gender and their and their and their ethnicity. Just just look and see how old they are. And the older they are, that is the strongest indicator of the way they are likely to be voting. There you go. So why do you why do you say why do you think even that that is is it life experience? Is it optimism? Um, I think it's a few factors. I think traditional social classes have broken down. I think that there's no longer that 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 case of well, my my dad's a minor and I'm a minor and we we voted Labour and we, we've all been voting Labour and so we're all going to vote Labour. I think that and the same on the Conservative side. I think that's gone. It's gone. So I think in in a in a way, a lot more votes are kind of up for grabs, and so that's the first thing. So social dealignment is a big thing. I think the second thing is is Brexit. I think that Brexit has made it. And people like Boris Johnson, for example, have made it far more likely that social class is broken down because now you can get working class people that can vote conservative and you can get uh, Remainers who are richer that will actually vote for the Lib Dems or, or uh, I think I think New Labour made a big difference. I think the, when Tony Blair was in power for, for however long it was, you know, he he enabled a lot of people to kind of cross that bridge. I think David Cameron did the same in reverse, if that kind of makes sense. So, so I think we, you, I think over the last 20, 25 years, 30, a lot of the kind of the social class ones have broken down, whereas age is still a strong factor because young people stereotypically tend to be poorer because they haven't had a chance to earn any money yet. They tend to be more idealistic. You know, we can change the world and, and you know, let, let, let's do this kind of thing. And older people tend to be more kind of comfortable with the way things are and conservatives tend to be the party that's kind of like, you know, we'll just kind of keep things steady, not going to rock, not, not, not going to rock the boat too much. Traditional social values, you know, things like, things like that. Um, sorry, that was quite a long speech, but you asked a question and I answered it. And you answered it well. <laughs> Do you feel you're getting more conservative as you get older? I do. I do. Um, I'm not 100% sure if it's because the Labour Party's changed, but uh, I, apart from one election, has, have always voted Labour. Hmm. But this time it really was, you know, well, I wasn't losing sleep over it or anything. I haven't made myself ill, but I really did, had a hard time coming to the decision of what way I was going to vote. And, yeah, I, and I just do, went, do you think I, I went age, back Do you think forth. your age is a factor in that? No, see, this is where I, I'm not disagreeing with you because I think you're right in many, many respects of what you just said. And I, I can see that. But I do think the parties themselves have changed and they've kind of left some people behind in one way or another. Because mm. you, you look at both the Tories and the Labour in the 80s and, you know, the, the Tories were, you know, stopping people being taught things about homosexuality in the classroom and same-sex um, uh, relationships. And, and, now you've got, and now David Cameron's legalised gay marriage. Yeah, uh, you got that. And then you've got the other side about, you know, the working class, uh, middle of England, northern England, miners. They were all Labour voters. It was just, that was it. And now, but, uh, sorry, now, because they've gone so far left, the Labour Party, it, it's, it's this whole socialist, Marxist, fear that that class also have oh no 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 you know they're not going to agree with that so i think they have moved on from the people as much as people move on from the parties as they get older i think you've also got an issue that there's this 
if you are older, you have memories of the 1970s where Britain was in a terrible finan- financial yeah, I, state. I hear that a lot. There, I, I work with a couple of people who are older than me. <laughs> I'm not the oldest person in the office. And they always come back to, oh, you don't know what it was like in the 70s. Oh, you don't want to get on a train on the 70s. I, I don't want it to be owned by the, the, the government again. It was terrible and stuff like that. So obviously I can't because I'm such a young man. I, I can't relate to that because I have no memory. I wasn't even born. But I think I think Corbyn, fairly or unfairly, you, 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 the viewers can be the judge. I think for many, he kind of harkens, he brings back memories of that era, especially where he has policies that are to do with to renationalise certain things or to increase the kind of rate of tax and things like that. And I think he uh, invokes era, uh, and invokes those kind of memories. And, and to be fair to the Labour Party, like a lot of the financial stuff that happened that was bad was 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 it was both parties. There were there was there was it was. It was, this is the pre-Margaret Thatcher financial revolution kind of big bang, and 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 the, both the Labour Party and the Conservative Party have, were doing terribly with the economy, but somehow it somehow it's ended up being part of the Labour Party's legacy that oh, old Labour was bad for the economy. It's it's a it's an accusation which seems to have stuck. Mm. Um, are we living in a post-shame era? Yes, without a doubt. I mean, look who is the president of the united states of america even though he does make me laugh so i can't be too angry with him and all the crazy things he says um yes and i think uh, a sign of that is that um we've just learned this evening that boris johnson has apparently refused to go on andrew neil or, um, or at least i think he's saying he might he might do it after the postal vote after, the postal <laughs> after the election i'll do one after the election December 25th it is then. Oh, busy? Okay. Um, which, which should be shameful. Yes, well, that, that can't, yeah, it does contradict what I'm saying, because if he wasn't ashamed of some of the things that can be thrown at him, why would he avoid going to the interview? But he still stood up in uh, the BBC question time. It wasn't really a debate, was it? It was just like the audience firing mm. questions at all the leaders. And he defended saying those dodgy things he said in the past, uh, the letterbox comments, the watermelon smile comments, and the uh, tank top, I won't say the other bit, because of uh, audience younger members uh, might find it offensive. But uh, yes, he described... Well, the- and, and I think a lot of people will find it <laughs> offensive. I think that's the point. Um, yes, yes. But, he, but somehow he somehow he's surviving these comments by living in a post-shame... Like, there seems to be an element to which, you know, that... Making those comments 10, 15 years ago would have been career suicide. He he seems to be able to just ride it. Yeah, yeah. He's he's you know uh, you know someone that as you've told me about. Oh, I, I like the white boy and stuff like that. And it's it's it, it, everyone's got their opinion, but they seem to forgive him and go, oh, that's Boris. And it's exactly the same with Trump in America. It's like, well, would you expect it's Donald Trump? But what <laughs> do, do you think? Do you think it's something unique to Johnson and Trump, or do you think actually because of them and others now that from now on just politicians and other public figures are just going to be able to get away with you know we're just in a different place in society, which could be a good thing because you know there are you know if you, if you go back into the past when people were gay they had to hide it when people had had um, you know issues in their personal lives you know this could end their political careers and I think most people would probably agree that it's it's a very good thing that we're beyond that as a society but are, are we now in a place where actually anyone can get away with anything or is it unique to those two? I think it's whatever catches the imagination and the disgust of the public through the media 
But I wouldn't say it's just those two, because many could say that Corbyn has a lot of things to be ashamed of with his connections to certain groups and <laughs> sharing stages with certain people. So there's that argument as well. It's not just you're blatant in the face. Oh, I've said that and I walk around and look at me. I'm outrageous. It's when you possibly do something that you, you may think is for the good, but other people would easily say, like, well, have you no shame to stand there after you've shared a stage with, you know, classified not classified, uh, categoried terrorist organisations. Do you think it depends on the media? Because because one of the things that Johnson and Trump have in common is they're both more on the right. And one of the, and the papers that tend to really go after people for scandals tend to be your more right-wing papers. You know, they're the ones that tend to drive it. I mean, is there is there an angle to which it could be that scandal hurts certain political persuasions more because the media will hammer them? Uh, I don't know. I, I think it depends what you do and what what the news cycle is. I, I, I mean, again, cynical about the way the world works. But I think if if something worse than Boris Johnson having an argument with his girlfriend in a house and red wine going everywhere and all that, you know, the neighbour reporting Gosh, I'd, it. I'd forgotten about that story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that if, if something, I, I don't know how Jeremy Corbyn would top that, but you'd think... <laughs> <laughs> You think him sharing a stage with Hamas or DRA or whatever the, the allegations are with all that, all that area would would still trump that? But other people were acting like that was the biggest deal ever, and how can you trust him? So I think it's down to whatever the the, the news get their teeth into, what they want to push out there. Obviously, some scandals are like blatantly obvious, like wow, how did you think that's wrong? You know, if something I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but on the spot. But if you know something that's like against the law, for example. Not unlawful, like the whole Prague in par- Parliament thing, but something breaking the law, obviously that is on another level, which comes kind of down to Donald Trump and the impeachment situation. It's also interesting how different politicians deal with deal with scandals as well, because like one solution is to, to just deny it, hold on, hold on. The other solution is you resign as quickly as possible, say sorry, resign and come back. Um, and two recent examples of that would be and then this links to ministerial kind of responsibility, which is something I look at at school sometimes, or individual ministerial responsibility. So Amber Rudd got in trouble over Windrush. Do you remember that one? She she lied either deliberately or accidentally to a, a select committee, resigned yeah. almost straight away, and then was back, uh, I think, less than a year later. Uh, yeah. Pretty Patel famously had that plane journey where she was going to get fired and everyone was like following the plane on Google and she was going to get fired because she was having secret meetings with... Um, uh, various leaders behind trees and Mace back or something like that. She got fired, and now she's the Home Secretary. Um, yep. So, so one way to deal with it is you resign, and the other way of dealing with it is you just kind of plug on through. And it's interesting to see kind of different t- types of personalities do both. I, I guess that I guess that's the thing. If you really get hit with a big scandal, quit as soon as possible because you, you've got more chance of surviving it. Bizarrely, do you do you think it's a new phenomenon though that people? I, I mean, the best two examples are Trump and Boris with the the questionable things they've said and allegedly done do you think it's a modern phenomenon that they just just ignore it and keep going because i i can remember lots of scandals in the 80s and the early 90s and people did what you're describing they resigned and that was it <laughs> they were gone and then they might come back a couple of years later but no i can't personally think off the top of my head on the spot anyone acting like boris and uh, and trump just yep so what you know, because you know he he doesn't mention anything about grabbing by anyone by anything anymore. That seems to be forgotten. He just just ignored it until it went away. I think 
and this might be a very deep point to to, to end the show on as we're hitting yeah. the, the 40 minute mark um we me and andrew went to see a, a politician the other night which we'll talk about um probably in a future podcast but he said that the the british constitution has rested a long time just on convention and tradition and it's been reasonably reasonably successful in doing so but we now have politicians that are pushing the boundaries of the British Constitution. They're doing the things that people have always in the past gone, oh, we, we, we can do anything you want, but no, we can't do that. We can't possibly do that. And, and I think British society for a, a long time has had these, you know, if, if you do this, that's shameful, then you have to resign. And I think what's happening now is, A, we, live, we are a more tolerant society, which is good. But I think also people are now, are now, are now a lot more open to pushing the boundaries of of tolerance okay fine so if, I, if i don't you know you should resign but why make me and and so i think people are now just pushing the powers of the prime minister or pushing what they can get away with and actually finding that there's nothing really to to force them to quit or to force them to resign you know, or, you know if the prime minister isn't going to fire them then why should they go it's, it's kind of down to them i think that's those two things i think in combined are are, are causing the changes Mm. I, th- I think there's definitely a lack of honour. A lack of honour. A lack of honour. A lack of honour. Right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. I th- hope you uh, hope we uh, were. I uh, hope you uh, you learned loads. If you agree with us or disagree with us, do let us know in the comment section. And we and if you've enjoyed us, then please do uh, recommend us um, to your friends. Um, any final thoughts? Uh, just be kind to each other and <laughs> be don't, excellent. Well, it, it's too late to tell everyone to just make sure to register to vote. So I hope you remembered to register to vote. Yeah. yeah and if you, you don't, don't, if you didn't, tough stuff. Right. Did you, yeah. Thank you. Uh, we've been pottering politics and we'll see you next week.